It can be hard to see the challenges the people we work with are facing. Addressing these invisible struggles can make us and our companies healthier. Join Holly Robinson-Pete on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. In the summer of 2015, business was good for Wells Fargo. It was seven years from the financial crisis. And they're really the only big bank that comes out pretty unscathed. They're making tons of money at this point. Financially, they're doing great, especially when everyone else is grasping to find a a way forward. Rachel Ensign covers banking. Everyone else is in the doghouse, but Wells Fargo is seen as this old-fashioned, plain vanilla bank that just focuses domestically. They take loans, they make deposits, and they're very proud of how well they're doing. And they're sort of like perceived at this time to be like kind of one of the good guys? Definitely, yeah. Wells Fargo rode this reputation to becoming the most valuable bank in the world. But its good guy image would soon be destroyed as revelations emerged that Wells Fargo employees had been opening millions of fake accounts. It's a scandal that has engulfed the bank for the last three years, toppled two CEOs, sparked multiple government investigations, and last week cost the bank $3 billion in the latest fine. Today on the show, what happened at Wells Fargo? And who should take the blame for what went wrong? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Thursday, February 27th. In September of 2016, Wells Fargo settled an investigation with the government that it hoped wouldn't get much attention. But when the specifics of the settlement came out, it quickly became a much bigger deal. The settlement showed that employees at Wells Fargo branches had been setting up accounts that nobody had ever asked for. And the number of these accounts was staggering. In the settlement documents, it comes out that there have been millions of these fake accounts opened. Millions. Millions. Checking accounts, savings accounts, credit cards, and personal loans. I mean, what they say is that it was the culture. Basically, what you had were these extremely aggressive goals that were set by the very top of the bank. These goals were part of a legitimate business strategy. Executives knew that the more accounts people had, the more revenue the bank was likely to make per customer. So they pushed employees to sign people up for as many accounts as possible. The way it was supposed to work was that if somebody walked into a bank branch wanting to open, say, a checking account, employees would also try to sell her a savings account and maybe a credit card too. The strategy was called cross-selling. It had been a key part of Wells Fargo's business approach since the 1990s. The idea was that the various things that a bank could give you, a loan, a checking account, a savings account, they were like products in a store. And the idea was that they wanted to give you as many as possible. Wells Fargo was actually very public about this policy and was proud of how good it was at getting customers to sign up for multiple products. For years, the story that the bank was telling the outside world was, We're so good at selling people multiple products. You know, they had a goal of eight products. We're so good at making sure that the typical person who walks in our branch and 
gets a checking account, a few years later has eight different products. Is that the slogan that the bank used to have? Go for great? Yes. But this sales culture had gone awry. What the 2016 settlement revealed was that managers were putting intense pressure on workers in Wells Fargo branches to reach their targets. The way that that played out day to day was people whose managers would check in multiple times a day and be like, okay, today you said you would open 10 checking accounts. How many do you have? Former employees I spoke to just described a culture of, and this is, I've heard this from a lot of people, of constant checking in constant hovering by the managers to make sure that they're meeting their goals, just an enormous amount of pressure to do literally whatever you could just to keep your job. I mean, there was an incentive component to it where you weren't going to reach your bonus if you didn't meet the goals, but a lot of it was just like existential fear of being fired from your job, which is a pretty big thing. (laughs) Pretty serious, yeah. (laughs) And you have to put yourself, I mean, in the shoes of the typical bank branch employee. I mean, these are the people who were the lowest level folks at the bank. They, a lot of times, they didn't go to college and, you know, they have a job with very good benefits at a big company, which can be pretty hard to get. Many employees felt like they just couldn't hit the targets their managers were pushing them toward. So to hit their numbers in order to keep their jobs, the settlement revealed that employees started going to extremes. They started opening fake accounts. So there were a few different tactics. One was a lot of the accounts were made for real people. So they might know that you, Ryan, were a Wells Fargo customer and just, you know, pull up your information and put it in as if, you know, you had asked for a second checking account. I don't know why you would have needed a second Hmm. checking account. (laughs) And they would put in fake information. A lot of times they would put in a Wells Fargo email address so that you would never receive a notification Hmm. that you got an account. Employees had other tactics, too. In addition to making extra accounts for existing customers, employees tried to pull in anyone they could to set up accounts. They called friends and family members, asking them if they could open a checking account or new credit card in their name. And employees sometimes left the bank branches to canvas people who might be easier to quickly sign up. So they would go to retirement homes and other places and just try to pitch as many people there on bank accounts as possible. I think the Mexican consulate was one of the places. Those seem like places that where people may not necessarily know what they're signing up for. Right. And that was one of the questions that came out of the initial 2016 settlement, which was, were they targeting folks who might not be as vigilant or might not be native English speakers and understand the disclosures and documents that were sent to them? As part of the 2016 fake account settlement, the bank agreed to pay a $185 million fine, over what were called, quote, widespread and illegal sales practices. But executives at Wells Fargo at the time seemed unprepared for how the news would be received. After all, Wells Fargo had only made a few million dollars from the whole scheme. Wells Fargo thought that, like many bank settlements, it would just be like a one-day thing. We'd write a short story about it and then move on, and they could just continue on being the best bank in the world. They thought it would blow over. Yeah. But it did not blow over. 
It blew up. All right, what do we got? Big scandal at Wells Fargo. That's what we've got. I mean big. Developing tonight from the live desk, the next step in the Wells Fargo scandal. The escalating Wells Fargo scandal could go all the way to the CEO's office. With a backlash building, top executives at the bank had to come out and do some more explaining. In the following days, the bank CEO, John Stumpf, did an interview with the Wall Street Journal where he placed the blame on bad employees. He also said the perpetrators had been fired. Over the years, the bank had fired more than 5,000 mostly lower-level employees in connection with the fake accounts. They respond, and this is both the CEO and CFO, with the view that this isn't a big deal, this is over with the settlement, and this is really just a few bad apples. So they're low-level people who didn't understand our culture, didn't act the right way. The CFO at the time said, this is a completed matter. But the matter was anything but completed. And by seeming to minimize the scandal, Wells Fargo stoked the anger of the public and federal lawmakers. And that would open the door to an even wider set of problems for the bank. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Canva. It's time to ditch your old presentation programs at work and try Canva presentations instead. It'll help you create stunning slides in no time. No design experience needed. Just start with one of the designer-made templates or generate something in seconds with AI. Then polish it up and get ready to wow your audience. It's that easy. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Tap the banner to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. The committee will come to order. Soon after the details of the fake account scandal became public, Congress demanded more answers from Wells Fargo. But first today, we will receive testimony from John Stump. He's Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo CEO and chairman who's with us today. Welcome, Mr. Stump. The CEO, a few weeks after the settlement, goes before a very important Senate committee. I am chairman and chief executive officer of Wells Fargo. And it just is a complete disaster. In this partisan age, what was really remarkable is that both sides of the aisle are just... Irate. The Republicans are being incredibly hostile to him. Elizabeth Warren is just... That was very good for you personally, wasn't it, Mr. Stumpf? Extremely angry at him. And his responses were very... I know the legal term. I know this. They broke our, our, our code of ethics. They were dishonest. and we did everything. He reiterates that it's the low-level people and, you know doesn't really provide very much information. He comes across as a little bit evasive. And 
each answer just like makes them angrier and angrier. Evidently, your definition of accountable is to push the blame to your low-level employees who don't have the money for a fancy PR firm to defend themselves. It's gutless leadership. A couple of weeks after the hearing, Stumpf resigned. The bank clawed back $41 million of his pay. Over time, this number went up as it became increasingly clear that Stumpf had known about the bank's problems but failed to act. You know, one thing that came out was that people would write directly to John Stumpf's office and tell him about this. Hmm. You know, this one person wrote to him and said, I was in the Gulf War, I'm a veteran, and working at Wells Fargo has been much more stressful than my experience in the Gulf War. More stressful than the Gulf War? Yes. Eventually, Stumpf forfeited a total of $70 million. But if Wells Fargo thought that this would be enough to put the scandal behind it, the bank was wrong again. Seeing this problem with fake accounts, regulators across the government, from the Justice Department to the Federal Reserve, all started to wonder whether Wells Fargo had other issues that they didn't know about. This is something that the largest investor in Wells Fargo, Warren Buffett, has actually said about the scandal, which is there's never just one cockroach in the kitchen. So the regulators have found one cockroach, which is the fake accounts, and they use that as license to just look deeper. What happens is this bank that has just been seen as a prestigious darling that is so much better than all the other banks, a closer look starts being taken and a lot of different things start popping up. The foreign exchange business, they may have overcharged certain customers for currency and foreign exchange trades. In the wealth management business, things involving auto insurance, how they treated members of the military. Eventually, almost every business unit at the bank would be put under investigation by a federal agency. Basically, it causes the bank to have this thing that is just so sprawling, this problem with regulators and prosecutors, it's just quite difficult for them to get it under control. And these sprawling investigations started to have consequences. In 2018, one of the most extreme measures to be issued against any large bank ever came from the Federal Reserve. The Fed put a growth cap on the bank, basically telling Wells Fargo that it wasn't allowed to take on more assets than the amount it already had. Essentially, they're saying your bank is not responsible enough to grow any larger. Wow. Yeah. How significant is something like that? Has the Federal Reserve, which obviously can regulate banks, has it ever done anything like that? I mean, not on this scale. Not to a large, very well-known, important bank. It, not only was it just such a shift from only a few years earlier when they were seen as a paragon of responsibility and an extremely safe bank. And within a very short period of time, you have the Fed saying, oh, no, actually, you really aren't that at all. And we must step in and do this thing because we think that your issues are really out of control on some level. All of these issues, the management turnover, the government investigations, and then the Fed's cap on growth, it all dragged the bank's business down. Revenues are declining. 
they're not able to focus on on the business strategy very much. And their two biggest rivals, J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, they're making an enormous amount of money, and they are passing Wells Fargo in everything. Early last year, the scandal claimed its second CEO. And Wells Fargo spent several months with nobody in the chief executive seat. The newest CEO, who just started a few months ago, said his biggest priority was to find a way to resolve all the open investigations into the bank's business. And now that started to happen. Last week, Wells Fargo reached a deal that resolves some of those probes. It's a $3 billion settlement with the Justice Department and Securities and Exchange Commission. It settles civil and criminal charges. And on top of the amount of money that they're paying, they have a so-called deferred prosecution agreement. Basically, what it means is that the Justice Department reserves the right to charge Wells Fargo one day if they don't think that they're living up to the expectations of the agreement. As part of the agreement, the bank must continue to cooperate with the other investigations that are still open. It also had to admit to a list of facts, that it unlawfully misused customers' sensitive personal information, that it harmed the credit ratings of customers, and that it collected millions of dollars in fees and interest in the process. After the settlement was announced, the new CEO said the conduct at the bank that led to the fake account scandal had been reprehensible, and that in the past three years, the bank had made changes to its business model, compensation program, leadership, and governance. But regulators didn't just go after the company. The former CEO, John Stumpf, also reached his own deal, which included an extraordinary penalty. John Stumpf agrees to this settlement in which he will be banned for life. And he has to pay a very large fine as well. Banned for life? Yes. From the banking industry? From the banking industry. Wow. How significant is that? It is not something that I believe has ever happened before to a large bank CEO. What do you make of the fact that individual executives are being held accountable for this scandal when that's not even something that happened after the financial crisis, which caused way more harm to the overall economy? Yeah, that's completely true. It kind of speaks to how notorious of a scandal this became. A lot of the financial crisis stuff was very arcane. It was stuff related to mortgage-backed securities and all of these things that are very complicated to understand. But the idea that a bank opened up millions of fake accounts for people is actually pretty easy to understand and get really mad about. There was an enormous amount of criticism for not penalizing individuals after the financial crisis for the deeds that caused the financial crisis. And it's something that people who have key regulatory roles definitely took to heart. The tough settlements that the government was able to reach could be seen as a sign that, to regulators, the scandal was the result of systemic issues, not just a few bad apples. But there have been consequences for rank-and-file employees, too. People who continue to work at Wells Fargo after the fake account scandal came to light say the bank has been trying to root out anyone who could have possibly been involved. What we found through our reporting was there was a huge push to investigate and find all the people who had done the fake accounts beyond the initial fired people. People were getting investigated all the time. You know, you'd get called up and they would say, Do you remember this account you opened in 2008 for this person? And these people have opened thousands of accounts in their lifetimes. They wouldn't even remember. And even for people who have left the company because of the scandal, the consequences are still following them around. I interviewed a bunch of folks for a story that we did last year about all the fired employees and kind of whether they've been able to find work. 
A lot of these people have been out of work for months or years, had to tap 401ks to stay afloat. We talked to employees who would say having that on their resume has just like irreparably hurt their careers, job prospects, their lives. I mean, on the one hand, wouldn't some people say that even though these were lower level employees, they still broke the rules. And so shouldn't they still suffer the consequences as well? People who were at that very low level say their managers told them to do it. When I wrote the story, there were a lot of folks who wrote in and were very sympathetic to these people and said, that's terrible that these low-level people are bearing the brunt of this scandal that happened a long time ago. And then there were other people who said, I'm sorry, but I don't want anyone working at a bank who has done something like this. That's all for today, Thursday, February 27th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Emily Glazer and Ben Eisen for their additional reporting. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.